The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Well, this is the third sermon in our series for the season of Lent. We're in the Gospel of Luke, and we're looking at the various meals that Jesus ate in the Gospel of Luke with other people. There are seven main ones that we're looking at on Sunday mornings, but we're actually looking at all nine of them, we, including on, on uh, uh, Ash Wednesday when Bree kicked off the series, and then on Maundy Thursday as well when we gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper during Holy Week. And, uh, and as we're looking at these stories, we're thinking about the value that we have when we share in meals with other people. In Jesus' day, uh, gathering around the table wasn't just about nourishing our bodies. It was also about nurturing relationships and nourishing our souls as well. And so it is meant to be for us today. This is one of the reasons why twice a year we organize dinners for eight for our congregation. And we're really excited about this one that's coming up in, the, in this month and next month because it's kind of like we're seeking to put into practice what we're focusing on uh, during this season of Lent, gathering together eight or ten people from the church around a meal um, with your worshiping community, and Pastor Bree has even put together a few prompts to help enrich and guide those table conversations, um, and so I'm, I'm very eager and excited about that. Today we come to one of the most famous of these meal stories, when Jesus eats with two sisters in their home, Martha and Mary. It's the only story uh, in the Gospel of Luke where Martha and Mary appear together. In John's Gospel, they're in, a, in another story with their brother Lazarus. And we actually think that this is their birth order, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And you might remember, if you're familiar with John's Gospel, that Lazarus got really sick and he died. And Jesus showed up four days late after Lazarus was already dead. And Martha was upset about this, and nonetheless, Jesus um, raised Lazarus from, from the dead. And so, um, it, this is the same family. And John tells us that Jesus loved this family, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. In our story for today, it says that, uh, that Jesus entered a certain village. 
He entered a certain village. I love that about the Gospels because it means that Jesus is not just some detached teacher of God consciousness, but he actually is the Savior who enters into particular places, particular times, and into the lives of particular families. And that means that he enters into our places of life and work and family as well. And even though Luke called it a certain village, we know from the other Gospels that this certain village was in fact Bethany, a town called Bethany. Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived in Bethany, which is on the backside of the Mount of Olives and is literally two miles away from the temple in Jerusalem. So if you were here last week and you remember last week, Jesus was up in the Galilee region around on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee in Bethsaida. And he also was, uh, had his home base in Capernaum. And then in chapter 9, that was chapter 7, in chapter 9 of Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, which means that everything that happens after that in the gospel of Luke is about Jesus' journey to the cross. He's pointing towards the cross, and so he's making his way, um, even though it's south, the, the gospel writers will say up to Jerusalem because of the elevation. So he passes through Samaria, goes into Judea and near Jerusalem and into the town of Bethany. You can see from this image here, there's the temple, there's the Mount of Olives on the east side and Bethany's on the back side of the Mount of Olives. It's about two miles from the temple. And you might remember that when Jesus um, had his triumphal entry on Palm Sunday into the old city, began near Bethany, actually in Bethphage, which is a one mile from Bethany, one mile from the temple. He walks through um, the, nearby the Garden of Gethsemane, the Valley of Tombs, along the Via Dolorosa, and into the old city. And so Bethany, while Jesus is in and around Jerusalem in the final weeks of his life, he is often stationed in Bethany. He lodges in Bethany. Um, and that's where Martha and Mary lived. Um, and so he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And, uh, and, and so much so that at the death of Lazarus, uh, Jesus, it's only one of two instances in the Gospels where, where we find Jesus weeping. Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. And John tells us that Jesus loved this family. Well, of course, he loved everybody. But John wants to say that he had a special relationship with this particular family. The Gospels record Jesus being in Bethany five times, not just at Mary and Martha's house, but also um, with Simon the leper. He lodged at Bethany when he was in Jerusalem. And Bethany might have been a colony for an early Jewish sect known as the Essenes. And the Essenes were known for their care for the sick and their care for the poor. And so a lot of caring happens in and around the town of Bethany. So Jesus goes to visit this this, these two sisters who he has a, a close relationship with, Martha and Mary. And because Jesus is the most famous rabbi around, um, surely Martha had other guests at this dinner gathering, and, uh, and, and, there, and Jesus would have been invited to teach, to teach about the scriptures, to teach about the law, to teach about the prophets, to teach about the kingdom of God and life with God. 
But we don't hear what Jesus teaches in this scene when he's with these two sisters at their dinner gathering. We don't get the sense of what he was teaching or his topic for the night. Instead, what we learn is that Martha is busy making preparations for the meal and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching. Now you might remember if you were here last summer, we did a series called Prayer as Life and Mary became the controlling image for that season, sitting at the feet of Jesus. We're, we're looking at this text again, but we're looking at it a little bit differently today. And I want to show you a, a couple of paintings from uh, around the world and throughout history about this scene. This is a classical oil on canvas by uh, Johannes Vermeer, which is a 17th century Dutch painter during the Baroque period. And there is uh, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, Martha um, appearing to be a little exhausted by doing all the work, and Jesus quite relaxed, not bothered at all by the fact that Mary is sitting at his feet. Um, and so here's another one. Here's another one. This, this is a contemporary um, painting that comes from Cameroon, a rural depiction of the same event. And I love how artists will cast this biblical scene into their own context, not as a way of saying, this is what it looked like when it actually happened, but as a way of saying that this scene shows up in our lives. This story shows up in, in our lives, and Jesus enters into our context. It's very incarnational in that sense. Here's one more. It's a, another contemporary painting by a Chinese artist named Dr. Hei Qi. Dr. Key is an artist in residence at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he fuses a, a number of different painting techniques. He has traditional um, Chinese folk um, art, along with Middle East or Middle Ages uh, iconography, along with some traditional Chinese um, painting as well. Notice how the figures of Mary and Martha are both leaning in to Jesus. And if you were looking at this painting for devotional purposes, you might ask yourself, do I have a posture of leaning in to the presence of Jesus when Jesus is around? Do I lean into that? Notice the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove. When I look at paintings about this story from around the world and throughout the ages, I'm reminded that this is a story that speaks to every culture and every people and every family and every age. It speaks to me and, and uh, we can all find our place in this story and relate to it. I don't even have any siblings and I can relate to this story. Although I do have three kids, two girls and a boy, um, and they could be named Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. That would be quite funny, actually, <laughs> if those were the names of my children. Some of us easily relate to Mary, and others relate more to Martha. Those who relate to Mary, you know, we love to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him talk. Those who relate easily to Martha love to work for Jesus and let others do the talking. Thank you very much. But Mary and Martha are sisters, and we don't understand them. We don't get either one of them unless we remember that they're related to one another. 
Martha's the one who invited Jesus over to her home. That's one of the ways in which we can tell that she was likely the oldest of the two sisters. It was her home, and she invited Jesus over. She was good thing, good at things like hospitality. But while she was preparing this meal, Mary wasn't doing any of the work. She was just sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him talk, and that really annoyed Martha. I don't think this is the first time they've ever had this argument. We can imagine Martha in the kitchen banging the pots a little bit louder than would necessary. This is nothing new. Mary never helps make the meal. Mary never does the dishes. Mary is always sitting in daddy's lap while Martha is in the kitchen with mom. Mary got to study music in college while Martha had to study economics. Mary's probably going to expect Martha to help pay for her graduate school and help her buy her first home. It's just not fair. Finally, Martha can't stand it anymore, and so she bursts into the living room and she says, Teacher, to Jesus, Teacher, don't you care that I'm the one doing all this work and Mary's not doing any of it? Tell her to come in and help me. Again, I don't think this is the first time they've ever had this argument. And it reminds me a little bit of like church life in a sense, you know. Some of us are very much like Mary. We love to worship. We love to sit at Jesus' feet and we love to learn. Um, and, and in it, when we do that, we behold the beauty of God and worship like, like we just participated in a moment ago can, can tear us up from time to time because we're people who are led by our hearts. A well-written book can keep us up all night long just for the beauty of the writing. When we hear about a need, we give because it tugs on our hearts, it breaks our hearts. The Marys among us are wired to behold beauty, but also to behold tragedy. And the Marys take it all in. They even take it into their body and they store it in their body. But others in the church like Martha, well, they're wired to volunteer. Because, you know, someone's got to get the work done around here. Someone's got to serve the community. And if Marthas are up all night, it's because they're working on a project that they expect to be perfect. And, uh, and that's what they do. And when Martha gives, it's because... She knows that it's her responsibility to be a giver. Martha's are wired for work. Mary's are wired to behold. And the two of them can, can argue it out about which one has the gospel right. Mary's say you need to serve or you need to worship and pray. Martha's say you need to serve and work. Martha has a point. Mary has a point, but they're missing the point of each other, which is that they're related to one another. I have a distant colleague who has two aunts by the name of Martha and Mary, and he says that they could have taken the script for their lives out of the Gospel of Luke. His aunt Martha is, is hardworking, highly educated, very successful, gracious, elegant. She has a big house. If you've ever studied the Enneagram, she's a one on the Enneagram. His aunt Mary lives a more simple life. 
She gives her heart away, he says, too easily. And she spent most of her life um, with children, others and her own. They're both devoted to Jesus. They're both devoted to each other. They love each other intensely, so intensely that they're constantly at each other's throats. They're constantly arguing. He said he's never seen them without each other, and they never refer to each other by name. They only refer to each other as sister. Sister, 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 as if it were a proper noun, as if it were a way of constantly renewing their relationship. They know they need each other, even though they're at each other's throats, and they can't stand the thought of not having each other. The truth is, there's a Mary and a Martha living in every one of us, inside of every one of us. One is more dominant than the other. But to become whole, to grow in Christ, is largely about learning to attend to that other voice, that sister who's the quieter voice. And, uh, and we don't really like to do that because we find her annoying, right? Um, but to grow in Christ means to constantly deal with our twin sister within. So Jesus enters into this family's argument which is really unusual for Jesus to enter into somebody else's argument. This is an argument that presumably has been going on for their whole lives. Jesus has his own arguments, but this time he enters into this argument, which is a way of saying that there's something really important that Luke wants us to see from this story. He starts out by saying, Martha, Martha. I love that. Do you remember when your parents used your first name uh, twice? You know, if they said your full name, Christopher Lucian Pritchett, you get in here. Well, you know you're in trouble. And yes, my middle name is Lucian. But if they just said your first name, Chris, Chris, well, that just means you're confused. And and that's essentially what Jesus is doing with Martha here. He's not judging her. Get in here right now. He's not judging her. He's simply saying you're distracted by many things. By many things. Only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the better part, which she'll never lose. Notice it doesn't say Mary is the better part. It says Mary has chosen the better part. Usually when we hear, when I hear this text, uh, the pastor will um, lift up the values of Mary and then proceed into a whole lot of Martha bashing. But it's important to remember that Jesus is not judging Martha. He's not trying to judge Martha for her work ethic. In the text right before this, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, where a person is lying half dead in the ditch on the side of the road, and two people, very much like Mary, walk by this person on their way to worship, the priest and the Levite, and the one who stops to help that person to sacrifice, to work, and to care for that person is the one who's praised by Jesus, and the ones who pass over him are the ones who judged, uh, are the ones who are judged. And so the last thing Jesus wants to do is to judge Martha's commitment to hard work and service. We need Martha for the mission of the church. The cause of social justice depends on the Marthas, but also the Marys, because we have to behold, we need a vision that will remind us of why it is we're working. 
We need a vision for our work. So Martha and Mary are very much symbols of an old Christian paradox known as faith and work, or as Richard Rohr would say, contemplation and action. We need both compassionate action and a life of prayer in our spiritual journey. The writer James said, faith without works is dead. Without works, without Martha, our spirituality becomes lifeless. It bears no authentic fruit. But without faith, without contemplation, without Mary, all our doing will come from the ego, even if it appears selfless, and it will actually cause more harm than good. And so external behavior for Christians must be grounded in a life of prayer. It doesn't really matter which one comes first, faith or, or work. One will lead to the other, um, but they ultimately they need and feed each other as components of a vibrant spirituality. In our story, Jesus' concern is for those who have committed themselves to service, those who have committed themselves to work, that they would attend to the soul's yearning for the one whom we serve. The call is to behold beauty and truth through worship and learning, and then to get to work on the visions and dreams that God gives to us, worshiping and learning. I want to close with um, sharing a little bit of a, a piece of a blog post a number of years ago on, on Rachel Held Evans' blog. It was a guest post um, by D.L. Mayfield, one of her friends, and she writes this about her experience doing inner city ministry, very much a Martha. She says this, I know what happened to Martha because it happened to me too. I see your desire to single-handedly fix all the problems, feeding the disciples, cleaning the sheets, acquiring health permits, doing volunteer background checks, your deep down desire to do good. How this desire left on its own morphed into a series of programs and activities that ultimately kept you from Jesus. I see how we got confused about it all and took the easy route of fixing problems instead of becoming engaged with the lives of those around us. How we found our safety and security in doing and eventually became brittle with the loneliness of trying to become the Savior instead of listening to Him. I do find comfort in this. Jesus doesn't shame you. He calls you by name, Martha, Martha. The first time cutting through your heart the second time healing it. He gets to the root of all your existential angst and shows that there's no need for the amount of space you carve out for anxiety, worry, and righteous indignation. Instead, paradoxically, it turns out we find Jesus when we sit down, when we fall at his feet, when we listen. This is, he says, the very best thing, and it can't be taken away unless we do it to ourselves. The busyness of the Savior complex, our quick response culture, even our desire to do good with the limited amount of time we have, can take Jesus, his life, his love, his grace away from us. But he wants us, Martha, 
And he likes us even when we aren't saving anyone. We're just his children, the ones he knows by name, and he wants to be with us. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for Martha and Mary, and we thank you for how much you love them. We recognize that some of us are more wired to be like Martha. We want to work, and we want to show our love for you with our hands. Help us to not forget why we are working. Help us to attend to the Mary within us and to sit at your feet. Others of us are like Mary. We love sitting in your presence and being in your presence. But Lord, give us the courage to get to work, to get our hands dirty, to roll up our sleeves and to serve so that our faith does not die as it's left unexpressed. Thank you for Martha and Mary. Remind us of who they are within us and your love for us always. In Jesus' name, amen.